Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Good evening, and welcome to the Glories of Mary. My name is Jason Brunel, and I'll be your host this evening as we explore some Mariological topics uh, within uh, the broader heading of theology. Mariology is the study of the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, within theology, uh, being a subdiscipline, one of many dis- subdisciplines within the overall overarching uh, study of, of God's divine revelation, which we refer to as theology. Um, other subdisciplines that are studied within, under the heading of theology include um, ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. Um, Christology, which is the study of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, specifically um, his, uh, for instance, we study his, his two natures, uh, uh, his, or I'm sorry, he, yes, his two natures, um, his human nature and his divine nature, uh, reconciled in, in, in the one divine person that he is. Um, we study the uh, various um, heresies regarding uh, the, the different beliefs regarding uh, Jesus Christ uh, and all the different heresies that developed throughout the centuries uh, that uh, went against the official church teaching on uh, Christ's true humanity and his true divinity and the, and the hypostatic union which unites the two of them together in his one divine person. Um, also under the broad heading of theology, we have a number of marvelous uh, courses. We study scripture, uh, method, uh, scripture methods. Uh, well, we study scripture itself, of course, but we also study uh, ways to study scripture. Um, and uh, this is referred to as a, we, a term we use as exegesis. Exegesis is, uh, is an attempt to uh, really understand uh, more fully and more completely uh, sacred scripture, taking, taking into consideration the, the various different types of literary genres uh, that are in existence or that were in existence at the time that that particular passage was written and um, what type of passage it's meant to be um, and to understand the, the historical context in which the passage was written uh, what the author was trying to convey. That really is the most essential thing in, in, in scripture study, uh, trying to get to or, or get at what the, what the author was attempting to convey because every other, um, every other, uh, th- th- there's, there's an, a wonderful, marvelous, ancient, very ancient tradition in the church of studying um, sacred scripture, and uh, we get, there are basically two 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 big branches. There's the the literal, the study of the literal meaning of the passage, and then the spiritual, and then the spiritual is is uh, further subdivided into the um, let's see the uh, the anagogical the the uh, the tropological and the uh, the uh, allegorical, the, the allegorical, the moral, and the anagogical. Uh, so the it's it's uh, so, but but each of those three uh, spiritual senses depends on the literal sense. So it's very important, very critical, and very key that we understand what the uh, what what the author was attempting to convey uh, specifically. Uh, but there are many, many subdisciplines under theology, um, uh, even, even Josephology. Uh, it's not something that people have heard, hear much about these days, but it's actually, I think, in certain circles, in more kind of orthodox, uh, conservative circles, I think Josephology is actually something that could potentially be uh, studied uh, at, at certain um, uh, conservative schools, uh, orthodox schools. Um, uh, especially taking taking into consideration the role of Saint Joseph as 
the provider of the of the of the holy family the and and really um seeing joseph as uh the patron of the universal church he's in a certain sense uh, just as we uh, saint thomas aquinas we've talked extensively about how the blessed virgin has her own unique category uh that we refer to her uh as as being higher you know higher than the saints but certainly nowhere near god uh, there's a literally an infinite chasm because when you're dealing with a creature uh, no matter how noble no matter how glorious and exalted that creature is uh, it's still a creature and a creature being a creature or a creature as such will always be uh, there will always be an infinite gap between a creature and the creator so yes and, and even louis de munford in the very first pages of his treatise on true devotion to the blessed virgin mary that's actually one of the very first things he states uh is that yes mary compared to god is is less than an atom she is literally nothing uh but but again this is all relative <laughs> so compared to all the angels and saints mary is she has more more merits and and greater virtues and 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 than all the saints and angels put together uh a hundred times over uh so it, it's just it's so hard to fathom these mysteries of our faith it's so hard to grasp because these are these are supernatural mysteries i mean we have a hard enough time with the natural mysteries of of physics and and you know the whole quite you know we've got people who are into physics and 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 know of know of the existence of of, of cern which is a which is a large hadron collider where scientists it's 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 actually below the surface of the earth it's underground it's a large it's a huge circular um tube where where subatomic particles are are shot through this tube at astronomical speeds um speeds that that are actually approaching the speed of light uh, and and they're the subatomic particles are literally crashed into each other um and the goal is to attempt uh to recreate the conditions uh that were present at the time of the big bang uh presupposing that that is the, the, that that that's the that's the theory that they're working from um they're trying to figure out okay they they understand the the, the, the scientists have understand have come to an understanding of matter and matter and what it is um to a certain extent um and they've also come to a fascinating discovery regarding antimatter which believe it or not uh it is a real thing uh so every so for for every for every piece for every piece of matter for ever for every element of actual matter in the universe there is it's opposite in antimatter and what's what's more fascinating is that they have found that this antimatter or matter matter the stuff that we deal with and interact with on a daily basis is very stable it's very stable antimatter just like there's hydrogen there's an anti-hydrogen um the uh the so, so and 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 just as just as a if if we if we take the example of a of an, of a, of an atom with a nucleus and uh a proton or, or I'm sorry a proton uh it's just really fascinating um the they every every atom has uh, electrons that that spin around you know electrons that that uh um orbit the nucleus as it were and um uh so every every atom has these these electrons that orbit the nucleus and it's interesting because we have um 
the antimatter version of, of whatever atom it happens to be is actually a, uh, um, it, it also has electrons, but they're not called electrons. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what they're called. Um, they're, they're called positrons, positrons. And, and um, they're kind of, uh, you, you could say they're anti-electrons, <laughs> but they're, they're positrons. Uh, the, the flow of electrons is, 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 is electricity. When you plug something into an outlet, uh, you have the basically a flow of electrons, and and um, and uh, but but there, in this, with this antimatter, you have positrons, and actually they've been able to harness and and literally use these positrons. Um, many of you have heard of um, PET scans. Um, a PET scan is a medical uh, it, it is a medical instrument that makes use of the of antimatter to give rise to an image um, the, the 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 word pet or the the acronym pet in in pet scan uh, stands for positron emission tomography so it, it is because of the it is the basically the the anti electron of antimatter um, which we refer to as the positron. And so it gives rise to this image, enabling us to see things that we would otherwise not be able to see, giving doctors an, uh, another way of, uh, another, another view of the reality of what's going on with a person and, and helping them to make a diagnosis. But that's, that's way beyond my area of, of, of expertise. Uh, I, I know very, very little to nothing uh, about physics except for the bare bones basics. Uh, but tonight, I was hoping to devote to tonight's show um, to, to all the listeners and, and to all of your intentions, uh, whoever you may be. And uh, I would especially, in a very special way, like to mention a few folks. I'd like to dedicate this show, first of all, to Bob Olson, um, who is, uh, you know, he, need, he needs our prayers. He's such a wonderful and dynamic uh, individual. And uh, he really has spent his life in service of our Lord and Our Lady, and it's just a, a marvelous example of, of of someone who has literally dedicated his whole life to to serving Our Lord and Our Lady and the Church in 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 every conceivable way. Uh, someone who is just deeply, deeply in love with Our Lord through Our Lady, who uh, had a beautiful. A real, a real firm, beautiful grasp of, of theology, and just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And so, let's keep him in our prayers. Um, I would also like to pray for my for my beautiful wife um, uh, during this during this uh, Advent season as we approach uh, the celebration of the of the coming of our Lord in, in, at Christmas, and. Um, and uh, I'd also uh, like to dedicate the show to uh, Sebastian Mahfoud, Dr. Sebastian Mahfoud, who is the founder of NROUT Media and of WCAT Radio, who has done such an amazing thing with, in, in creating this marvelous, marvelous radio show and um, in, in, in publishing the myriad books uh, that, that NROUT Media has, has published. And um, it's outstanding. And, and finally, uh, a, fr a friend of mine who, who is a, a new friend, but it feels like we've been friends for a very long time, and we're, we're very kindred spirits, and this, this, uh, this, this man's name is Keith, and he is a, a very gifted, marvelous individual who is currently writing a, a, a doctoral dissertation on, um, <clears throat> on Our Lady, and... and um, he has inspired me tremendously. Um, I've been tremendously gifted uh, in being able to read excerpts uh, of the dissertation, and it's just um, absolutely stellar, truly magnificent. He's a tremendously gifted human being with a deep, deep, deep devotion to Our Lady. And, um, 
we, we need more people like Keith and like Bob Olson and, and, and like Sebastian and, and my wife uh, who are so dedicated, all of, all of those persons, each, each one of them, they, are so, they each have such a beautiful devotion to Our Lady. And there's something so special and so necessary when it comes to devotion to Our Lady in that Our Lady promises all of those persons who, who respond to her call for consecration, she makes a solemn promise that they will not stray from the true faith. Uh, and that is a, that's a huge promise in these times when so many voices are out there. Um, even within the Catholic Church, um, uh, people, uh, I, I, I hate to say it, but just because, uh, um, it, it, I it's, it's, we, need to, we need to pray. We need to pray above all. We need to pray for our priests. We need to pray for our bishops. We need to pray for our Pope Francis and our Pope Emeritus, Benedict XVI, and for his intentions. Um, Pope, I think Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has a very special role in, in, in his... Uh, he, 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 he is not... Um, guiding the church, uh, steering the bark of Peter, as it were, uh, as a pope normally does. Um, he has stepped back and has handed the reins over to his successor. However, um, he did promise to, to, to continue to serve uh, in his capacity as the successor of St. Peter. And the, the, really, the, the papal... Uh, the the charism of of, of the papacy is it, it, it just because uh, Benedict stepped down from the day to day workings of of the um, of of, of control, you know basically making decisions for you know for the church on behalf of the church being the final say in the decision making processes that take place on a daily basis. Uh, just because he is no longer the administrator, the, the final administrator, the chief administrator of the church, as it were, he still has, he still carries his role as shepherd of souls. And I, I think it's very important that whenever we are called, to, whenever we feel compelled to pray for the Pope or in Mass when we pray for the Pope, we should always remember to pray for Pope Benedict XVI, as well as Francis, uh, and particularly for Benedict's intentions, because I really do believe that that at this time his his prayerful intercession for the Church is most powerful. It is most powerful, and I feel that um, you know he he will he will remain. Uh, our 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 shepherd in spirit, our father in spirit, for as long as he lives on this earth, um, and uh, and thus uh, let us. So, and, and this is something I often forget to do at the beginning of shows. I oftentimes forget to pray, but let us let us offer some prayers at the beginning of the show, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be recreated and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful people by sending the Holy Spirit upon them, grant that we may be truly wise and always benefit from the comfort and the truth of the Holy Spirit residing in our hearts. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. And we pray, Holy Mother Mary, we consecrate this show to your Immaculate Heart. We consecrate ourselves to your Immaculate Heart. And I consecrate all those who are listening to this show to your Immaculate Heart. Take us into your heart. 
as we are, broken, sinful. You are the refuge of sinners. You are the mother of mercy. Obtain for us the gift of a perfect, sincere, heartfelt contrition for all of our sins and a firm resolve to fully cooperate with God's grace at all times in our aspiration to live habitually in the divine will of God, the Father, and to allow you as mediatrix of all graces with the Holy Spirit who is your spouse to form ever more perfectly the image of Christ in our souls. May we be docile in your loving arms. May we allow ourselves to be nourished by you, nourished with effusions of divine grace, the divine milk of faith, hope, and charity, purity, temperance, fortitude, humility, littleness, and all the virtues that adorn and, and so beautifully adorn your immaculate heart. And we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this point, I would like to begin to read the treatise on true devotion, which was written by St. Louis de Montfort. And this is the uh, translation by Father Frederick Faber. And um, this is chapter one. I'm going to skip the, the introduction. I'm going to skip Father Faber's introduction. I'm going to skip a number of his numbered there are a series of introductions, and I'm just going to go straight to the um, uh, straight to, to the beginning of the book, which is chapter one, and it actually begins with paragraph 14. Um, this is the version where each paragraph is numbered, and it's it's actually very helpful. It's 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 not unlike a, a church document in that regard. You, you have each paragraph uh, numbered. So it, it gives you a good, uh, a very easy way of, 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 of looking up a particular passage. So beginning with paragraph 14 under chapter 1, the heading being the necessity of devotion to the Blessed Virgin. With the whole church, I admit that Mary, being but a mere creature from the hands of the Most High, in comparison with his infinite majesty, less than an atom, or rather, is just nothing. For he alone is, quote, he who is, unquote. Consequently, this great Lord, forever independent and self-sufficient, never had and has not now any absolute need of the most blessed virgin for carrying out his will and for manifesting his glory. He has but to will in order to do all things. Paragraph 15. I say, however, that considering things as they are, considering that God willed to begin and complete his greatest works by the most blessed virgin ever since he made her, we can believe that he will never change his plan in future ages. For he is God and changes neither in his sentiments nor in his way of acting. So just I'm going to stop there and um, just clarify a few things. Clearly, uh, it is pointed out, as I pointed out earlier before I began reading, that the very first thing that de Montfort does is point out how, or is, is he points out that Mary, despite her, you know, despite her exalted status as the 
greatest creature God has ever made uh, and will ever make. Mary is the queen of angels and the queen of men. Uh, There is not a single creature who could ever surpass the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, she, when it comes to God's creation, Mary is the most sublime and the most exalted of all of his creatures and forever will be. Uh, there never has been anyone or anything greater than Mary and there never shall be anyone or anything greater than Mary in terms of a, pu- a pure creation. Um, however, uh, Mary is, in comparison to God, just that, a creation, whereas God is the creator. Um, God is entirely self-sufficient. Uh, if, if, if God needed something else or someone else to explain his existence, then he would not be God. He would not be the first cause uncaused. Um, if, if God were dependent upon someone or something else, he would not be that first cause uncaused. So God is the creator, and he is the sole being. When, and particularly, um, de Munford mentions his name, for God alone is he who is. Um, and this is taken from Exodus, uh, I believe, chapter 3, verse 14. And... This is the um, the story or the 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 the, the, the narrative of of Moses um, going up the mount and seeing the bush on fire, but seeing that while it was on fire, it was not being consumed by the fire. And then he heard a voice. And it was the voice of the Lord. And it said, Moses, remove your sandals, for the ground on which you stand is holy. So Moses immediately took off his sandals. And this burning bush was, was the presence of God himself. And, and God proceeded to explain to Moses that Moses had been chosen by God to carry out a tremendous role, uh, that, that God had heard the cry of his people uh, who were at that time living in slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh, and he had, he had heard the cry of his people, and he, it was his will to set them free from their slavery in Egypt and to lead them out of Egypt and into a promised land, into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that would be their own, um, where they would no longer be slaves uh, and work as slaves uh, subject to Pharaoh. They would be freed, independent, have their own land, be their own people. And Moses had been chosen by God to be the instrument uh, that God would use to bring this message to Pharaoh and also to the Israelites, the, the, the people, God's people. And Moses uh, was very reluctant to, do, to take on this mission. Um, he, he had a speech impediment. Um, there were, he felt that there were other people that were far better qualified than he was to uh, do this uh, for this mission. But, but God, God chose Moses. And, um, and one of the questions Moses asked God was, well, when the people ask, or you know, Pharaoh or the people ask, um, you know, who sent you? What do I say? Basically, what's your name? What, 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 what do I tell them uh, when, when they ask me, well, who sent you? And, and our Lord responds, tell them, I am who am sent you. Essentially, tell them that I am sent you. So God, so God the Father reveals his name as I am who am. I am he who is. I am he who exists. I am he who cannot not exist. 
I am he whose existence is necessary. I cannot not be. God is the only being that cannot not be. That is to say, he is the only necessary being. Each of us, we are all contingent beings. We do not have to exist. It is not necessary that we exist. Although, it certainly could be argued that from the perspective of God's providence, uh, from the perspective of God's divine providence, yes, he did have each and every one of us in mind from all eternity. And so, insofar as divine providence goes, um, he, you know, those, as even St. Paul talks about, uh, you know, certain individuals uh, being in the mind of God for all eternity, those he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called, uh, and, and, he, the, and those he called, he justified, and, and the, the whole process of, 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 of essentially being called into existence, being loved into existence from all eternity, God knew exactly who we would be. He knew every single thing about us. He knew ever infinitely more about us than we could ever possibly know about ourselves. And he not only loved us into existence, not only loved us, I mean, he, I often think of it, God could have created a potentially infinite number of other potential human beings who would have or could have loved him far greater than I ever will, who, who, who could potentially have served him far greater than I ever will, who, and, and, and to, to know that and simultaneously to know that despite that reality, God still chose me just as I am with all of my weaknesses, with all of my imperfections, with all of my... And realize, well, St. Paul says he boasts of his weakness because it is in weakness that God's power is made perfect. And there's a tremendous, beautiful truth to that. St. Paul, really, um, such a master theologian. St. Paul really, really, in so many ways... Um, laid the groundwork for so much of, 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 of our Christian theology. Uh, St. Paul's, so many of St. Paul's um, inspired uh, ideas and theological explanations, which clearly were a consequence of uh, the Holy Spirit speaking through him in his many letters um, written to the many churches, uh, he it is just an amazing thing, but but so clearly God is getting back to the issue of God as the sole necessary being. Only God has to exist. Only God must exist. None of us can say that of ourselves. Not a single human being must exist. And I did make that distinction from the from the vantage point of of divine providence. Yes, you could say that God had us in mind from all, from all eternity, but none of us, God was not, strictly speaking, putting his, provi putting his providence uh, aside for us for a moment, strictly speaking, he did not have to, it was not necessary that God create any of us. God does not need human beings. Uh, God is not lonely. Uh, God did not. Some people think that God creates human be, created human beings because he was lonely and he, he wanted people to, to love him. Such is nothing could be further from the truth. God is anything but lonely. <laughs> God, God is actually a trinity of persons, and it's funny because oftentimes you will hear people say, "Well, God is love." People who are not, you know, who don't have necessarily a. a, a, a uh, a, a strong training or, or a strong background in, in, in the uh, understanding or the, the discipline of theology. But many people who do believe in God, uh, regardless of what their particular faith tradition is, 
many people do believe that, that they, they do identify God as a loving being, even going so far as to say that God is love. And, and we know that to be true. God is, in fact, love. It is, it is of God's essence. Love is, love is an essential characteristic of God. It, it, God is love. Um, God doesn't have love. He is love. Um, but the thing is, how could God be love if he were only a solitary being? If God were only one person with one intellect and one will, how could God be love? Love presupposes... Uh, well, love, in order for love to be had, there, love, is, is, it, love is something that exists between at least two people. At the very least, there have to be two people who, who, who freely enter into a situation, a relationship with each other. And C.S. Lewis does a, a tremendous service in his uh, exposition of the four. It's, it's so funny. The, the, English, the English-speaking world has one simple word for love, and we use it to refer to our love for God, our love for our parents, our love for our spouses, our love of our best friends, and our love of pizza. And how, how that one word can apply to all of those different relationships is beyond my comprehension. Really, uh, there, there must, it, it amazes me, that the, the limitations of language. And clearly, that is, I think, a perfect example of how limited the English language is that we would use the very same word for our love for uh, Hostess Twinkies. Oh, I love Hostess Twinkies. And I, and I love God. And, and, and use the, the same word to refer to our relationship with, with, a, with, a, with, 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 a, with food and, and, and also use that word to refer to our relationship with God. It's amazing. But the Greeks had four words for God. I'm sorry, pardon me. The, the Greeks had four words for love. Four words for love. And they, they really, it was, it, was, it was a, it actually is a, a marvelous thing uh, for us to commit to memory because it really helps to clarify things. Um, first of all, there's the Greek word agape or agape. Uh, different people, I've heard it pronounced both ways. I honestly do not know what the official pronounce, uh, how to officially pronounce, uh, what the official uh, uh, enunciation of the word is, but uh, agape, spelled A-G-A-P-E, or agape. And that is the, that is essentially the Christian, the, the love of, the love of, a, the love that a Christian is called to love that a Christian is called to have for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, so if we think of the, um, Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, and we think of the, the, first two, uh, the first two Jewish individuals who passed by this very sickly man who was on the road, who had been beaten and robbed and left for dead. And the first, uh, you know, was a... Uh, a Levite who who was a priest uh, of the uh, priest in the um, of the old law, the old covenant, and um, it's very likely that he was he was likely on his way to um, uh, to a service, and because of the because of the the the, the mosaic or because of the laws, uh, the, there were many ritual laws. In the, in the Jewish tradition at that time, and, and that remained to this day, that w- if, 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 a, if a Jewish person were to touch um, a, a deceased body, if that person happened to be dead, then that person would become ritually unclean, and it would take a number of days for that person to 
uh, undergo the purification process in order for him or her to return to uh, a state of cleanliness. Um, and that person would not be able to perform any of the rituals uh, associated with his ministry as a rabbi. So it is very likely that the, the first person who, who passed by was a Levite who was probably on his way to celebrate uh, some type or, or to, to make some type of an offering. And in order to do that, he had to he had to he had to be ritually clean and to touch dead body would would render him unclean and he would then not be able to carry out his function so i think that gives us a better understanding of why uh, a rabbi would just walk past a dying man on the street it's not that he was being cool it's just that it was, it was one of those difficult situations where, okay, he's got to be at a certain place at a certain time, and people are waiting on him and depending upon him to, to do this, uh, to offer this, this ritual, this sacrifice that he promised them that he would do, and, um, and if he does this, he will not be able to carry out his promise to these people. So it's kind of a catch-22 situation. Um, but our Lord is, use, is, is, is using that to make a point. He's, he's really showing what, what true Christian love is all about, that regardless of what that individual, that, that, that Levite had promised or was planning on doing, his first and primary concern should have been to take care to, to do something good for this individual who was, who was dead or, or, or dying. It turns out he was, he was very, very sick. He'd been beaten very badly and, was, and would have died were it not for the good Samaritan who came along, who paid for him, who literally picked him up and brought him to an inn and, and gave the innkeeper the money needed to care for him for a number of days. Um, but um, so our Lord is teaching how to love unselfishly. It's an unselfish, altruistic love. That is what agape is. Um, the second, so that's Christian unselfish Christian love, where there's I, I'm not doing I'm not doing something uh, to receive a benefit. I'm not loving someone to get something in return. Uh, I don't expect any kind of repayment. Uh, this is pure altruistic love. Loving for the sake of loving a person because that person is creating, created in God's image and likeness is, is, is truly a, a, a son or daughter of God. And, and loving that person because, um, because Christ stated very clearly, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, that you do unto me. We must understand that whatever we do to anyone, no matter, no matter their rank in society, no matter who they are or what they are, or there are so many people who will, you know, if, 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 a, if the mayor comes, comes into town or if a bishop comes into town, Everybody is so friendly, or if a very wealthy person happens to be around, you know, everybody's all smiles. Everybody wants to be this person's friend. Uh, this, this always, uh, these are these are called fair weather friends, and they uh, people gravitate toward towards persons who are uh, uh, powerful, famous, and wealthy. <laughs> it's a very common human uh, reality. Um, but to be as loving and as kind and as sincere with uh, the person who's waiting on you in a restaurant as you are with the person that you've taken out to eat, that says a lot. That says a lot because very often you will see individuals in, in, in very similar situations where they're... they're they're being very, very kind and, gen and generous to the person uh, that they're 
that they've taken out to eat, uh, and yet they're speaking ill of the waitress and and being somewhat snappy and, and somewhat nasty to the waitress, and 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 that's just you know that's just not appropriate at all. So uh, that's agape, the Christian love. The second form of love is is uh, eros, and um, is it forms the 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 base of 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 the English word erotic. Uh, eros is the 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 love that is the inti- the intimate love that is shared between a husband and wife. It's a, the love of romance. It's a romantic love. It's a love between um, a man and a woman uh, who will make vows and and uh, marry uh, and. Um, and so there's there's a, that is certainly a, a unique a unique love. There is also another love which is uh, philia, and philia is a brotherly love. And this is the way you can you, the way you can kind of commit this to memory is um, just think of the word Philadelphia. Philadelphia is referred to as the city of brotherly love. And hence the name, Philadelphia, philia. The word philia is in the word Philadelphia, which is, and hence, that's why we call it the city of brotherly love. It's, it, is, um, it is that, it's the love of friendship. It's the love that we experience for our friends. It's the love that we have for our closest friends, for our dear friends, uh, for the people in our lives who... We share our our dreams and our hopes and our fears and all of those things. The the, the people are uh, are are that brotherly love that you have for your for your close friends. And finally, there's uh, the last version of love, which is uh, I I may do a I may botch this in, in trying to. Um, Pronounce it. I don't know the correct pronunciation of this word. Uh, I know it's spelled S T O R G E. It could be storg or storge or storgy. I'm not sure if the E is silent or not, or if it's draw if it's pronounced. But storge, storgy, and essentially that is an affection. Uh, so, for instance, if you like, if you happen to uh, like a certain food, say you really like pizza, then that's the type of love that you would have. I, I you know, I, I really like pizza. It's one of my favorite foods. And so that would be uh, the love of affection for a uh, possibly an inanimate object, uh, something that you enjoy, uh, a, a leisure activity, uh, uh, something that's not a per, you know something an object as opposed to a subject an object as opposed to a person um, although many people are treated as objects by other people uh, but <laughs> that should never be the case um, but so these are some of the musings that I've uh, gotten from the first so so we talked about um this these 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 two paragraphs 14 and 15 um, it is not essential for any of us to exist, neither was it essential for God. God did not have to create the Blessed Virgin Mary. But he, he chose to create the Blessed Virgin Mary. Moreover, he chose for her to be the most exalted of all creatures, uh, most importantly, because she would be the mother of God, uh, it is really her 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 divine her divine maternity. That's probably the single greatest reason for for this tremendously exalted status of hers. That she is, if we think of Saint Paul's description of the mystical body, Christ is the head, we are the members, and Mary is the neck. And as we all know, it is precisely the neck that facilitates 
communication from the head to the body and from the body to the head. And that is exactly what Mary is. She is the facilitator of, she conveys, she, 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 all, all, every single grace that comes to us from God comes through Mary's willed intercession it necessarily, for that reason, is also a gift from the Blessed Virgin Mary and takes on the color and the dimension of Mary's own Immaculate Heart. Every gift from God is given to us by the Blessed Virgin Mary. There is, not a, there, there is no other way uh, for grace to reach humanity than to go through, than to pass through the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, it's, it's just, it's the, it's the way God has created things. Now, was it, nece- was it absolutely necessary that God create, that, that, that every grace come to us through Mary? No, it was not necessary in the strict sense, but God, we, we, as, we, as we continue to read on, we will, we will read about how each of the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each of these three divine persons freely chose to become dependent upon the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, and I, I'll, I'll say that again because it's very critical and key to understanding Mary's role. Each of the three persons of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, freely chose to become dependent on the Blessed Virgin Mary in the distribution of grace. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. It's not, it, now, it's, it's, it's not a intrinsic necessity. It's a hypothetical necessity. But we'll talk about that more as we move on. So moving on to Article 1 under principles. First principle, God willed to make use of Mary in the incarnation. And this is paragraph 16. And it states as follows. God the Father gave his only begotten Son to the world only through Mary. God the Father gave his only begotten Son to the world through Mary. Whatever sighs the patriarchs may have uttered, whatever prayers the prophets and the saints of the old law may have offered for 4,000 years to obtain that treasure, it was Mary alone who merited it and found grace before God by the power of her prayers and the eminence of her virtues. The world was unworthy, says St. Augustine, to receive the Son of God directly from the hands of the Father. So he gave him to Mary that the world might receive him through her. The Son of God became man for our salvation, but in Mary and by Mary. The Son of God became man for our salvation, but he only did so in Mary and by Mary. God the Holy Ghost formed Jesus Christ in Mary, but after having asked her consent, by one of the foremost ministers of his court, that is to say, the Archangel Gabriel. So here we see how God the Father gave his gave Jesus to the world through the Blessed Virgin Mary. And Saint Louis Saint Louis de Montfort explains that Regardless of how how badly the the patriarchs of the old of the old law uh, may have wanted to uh, see the Messiah, or wanted to wanted them see to see with their own eyes the Messiah, for four thousand years, um, it was only Mary, it was only Mary who 
whose, whose prayers were powerful enough and her virtues sublime enough to, uh, to, to merit uh, uh, being chosen to be the, 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 the means by which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would assume a true human nature and enter into space and time. The world was unworthy, St. Augustine says, to receive the eternal word, the eternally begotten Son of God the Father, directly from the hands of the Father. Thus, God the Father gave Jesus to Mary that she might receive Jesus, or that, that she might be, that she might bring Jesus to us. So Mary here is, God the Father chooses Mary. Um, and, but he, he, goes, he also states that the Son of God assumed a true human nature in order to bring about our salvation, in order to redeem humanity. But he only did so in Mary and by Mary. Finally, God the Holy Spirit formed Jesus Christ in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but only after having asked her consent through one of the foremost ministers of God's court, St. Gabriel. Archangel, I'm sorry, yes, it is St. Gabriel, Archangel Gabriel. Continuing on, chapter 17, I'm sorry, uh, paragraph 17. God the Father communicated to Mary his fruitfulness as far as a mere creature was capable of receiving it to enable her to produce his son in all the members of his mystical body. Beautiful. So God communicates to Mary his own fruitfulness, his own ability to, to, to create uh, to, 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 well, first of all, to give rise to the God-man. Um, of course, Jesus is not a creature. God was, Jesus Christ was not created. Um, however, his, his humanity was created. Um, his God, God, the eternal, the eternal word, uh, who existed from all eternity and was eternally begotten of God the Father, um, exists, he exists from all eternity. There is no beginning. Uh, the eternal word has no beginning. He exists from all eternity. Um, but when he assumed a human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary, uh, which was a consequence of the Holy Spirit overshadowing the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, the Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Hence, the child to be born of you will be called the Son of God. Um, Jesus' humanity did have a, a very specific beginning. And that beginning was the moment that Mary gave the Archangel Gabriel her fiat, her yes, the moment Mary said, yes, I am the handmaid of the Lord, may it be done unto me according to your word. The moment she gave these words, her assent to God's will, as relayed to her by the Archangel Gabriel, at that moment, Jesus Christ's humanity came into existence. And at that moment, the eternally begotten Word of God who exists from all eternity emptied himself, stripped himself of his divinity and, and assumed a true human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Paragraph 18. God the Son came down into her virginal womb as the new Adam into his earthly paradise to take his delight therein. Beautiful. 
We've reached the end of our program this evening. I would like to thank each and every one of you for, um, for, the, for the tremendous uh, gift of, 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 lending, of lending me your attention and permitting me to speak to you in your home or in your car or wherever you happen to be, um, or in front of your computer, more likely. <laughs> and um, let us pray that um, the Holy Spirit might come and that he might, just as he overshadowed the Blessed Virgin Mary, and just as the Holy Spirit and Mary cooperated in the creation of the God-man, May we, in consecrating ourselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, allow Mary to work with her well-beloved spouse, the Holy Spirit, to give rise to the image of Christ in our souls, that we might decrease in order that he might increase. And may the Lord bless us and protect us from every evil, and bring us to life everlasting. Amen. Thank you, and may God bless you. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.